Hello and welcome to Drive Talking, your favourite motoring podcast. I'm Caroline Kidd and I'm joined here by Dara Otuma. How are you, Dara? What mischief have you been up to this week? Oh, plenty of mischief this week, Caroline. Mm-hmm. Plenty of mischief. And and do you notice it's it's kind of quiet and silent here today? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just mm-hmm. me and you, Caroline. Neil Briscoe swanning off, right? And wait, wait till you hear it, right? So his excuse to the pair of us during the week was, I'm going off to the Porsche Museum for my son. Now, notice something wrong with that sentence, particularly the end part, for my son. We all know that Neil Briscoe is going off the Porsche for himself. Yeah, he seems to be having a great time, Dara. He's having a great time, but there's an empty chair in our office, isn't there? There, there, there is, there is. But the bad news, everybody, or the good news, actually, no, that's a terrible way to put it. The great news is we did get updates from Neil from the Porsche mm-hmm. Museum during the week that we're actually going to play in one big batch together. He is like a child in a candy shop. I don't think there's any other way of describing it. So I'm not around to be on the podcast this week, but I'm currently speaking to you from the... I think we can safely say hallowed halls of Porsche. This is the Porsche Museum in Stuttgart, just uh, next door to the actual factory in Zuffenhausen. Um, And it's frankly glorious. I'm currently standing next to a almost golf livery. It's not quite golf, but it's it's orange and, and metallic pale blue 918 RSR concept car that was driven by uh, Walter Rohrl, no less. This thing looks absolutely stunning. Uh, It's just, (laughs) I mean, it's just astonishing. It's got a V8 engine, hybrid, 563 horsepower. And this isn't even close to being the most exciting car. We've just walked up an avenue filled with racing cars from the original flat 12 917 from the gorgeous lithe little 904 Carrera GTS uh, up to the the big banger Le Mans cars from uh, the 1980s like the 956 and the 962 they've got a 956 in slightly naughty cigarette colour uh, scheme stuck to the ceiling as a way of illustrating how much downforce it has that if you could get it going on a ceiling it would actually stick itself of course the engine wouldn't work driving upside down like that but that's that's neither here nor there. This place is absolutely astonishing. I can only implore you to come here. It's taken me, well, 46 years to get here. I can't believe I haven't been here before, but this is my first time in the Porsche Museum and it is absolutely worth the wait. And this is just the first quick walk around. We've got the tour to do yet. Um, and we haven't even haven't even troubled the gift shop. So, uh, I guess I'll check back in later. This is uh, this is just amazing. Okay, so this is, they have a little toy here where you have an accelerator pedal and an original rev counter and you can make the noise of a classic 935 Le Mans car revving its head off. So I'll just play this for you, hang on a sec. There we go, you hear that? 3000 RPM. Four, five, six, seven, eight. And back down again for the chicane. Is that not a brilliant noise? Oh, he sounds to be completely in the moment and just really enjoying it. A kid in a candy store. 
sounds yeah. absolutely great. So, and the other thing as well, uh, once again, folks, if you go onto his Twitter at Neil M Briscoe, you will notice that he's wearing his Porsche socks for the Porsche Museum. So, um, yes, he is um, having a ball. Okay, listen, this week there is plenty of news, plenty of motoring news as per usual, and as well as that, myself and Caroline will be discussing some of what we consider to be issues. We also put our usual request out during the week, Caroline. Waitly here, waitly here. I got my first response to this request. Is there anything you'd like us to cover? I got my first response. Oh, I am so happy for you, Dara. And I got loads of responses as well. So I know, I'm I not know. sure what happened. And they came in like a tidal wave last night as well when I put out quest. So I think we both did well this week. We, we did quite well, but do you know what the killer is, right? I got a special request off Neil Briscoe not to tackle the one response that I got yesterday on my request, which was, I'm going to read out the response. I'm going to let everyone know what it was, just in case the person who sent it to me um, is curious as to why we're not discussing. Neil wants to be part of this conversation as well, and I think it only right and fair. So there was a text in this week from Sinto, and he said, talk me through the test drive process. When test driving a car for the first time, is there a certain process or checklist you go through or do you just drive for a few days and make an opinion Sinto bad news is we're not going to discuss it this week the good news is we're going to discuss it next week and I personally look forward to discussing that because mm. I, I certainly had my own way of doing these things when I used to test drive cars and Caroline Kidd I know that you've got a method of doing it yourself and I'm pretty sure because mm. Neil wants to talk about it he's got his own master record uh, or way in which of doing it written yeah. down. So there you go. Um, listen- Absolutely. And I'm really, really keen to see what how Neil does it. Maybe I can pick up some tips oh, from a yeah. seasoned motoring journalist like Neil. The secret <laughs> sauce. Okay, let's start off with the uh, with news this week that came out from Porsche that they are releasing a Porsche nine one one Sport. Now, when I put this down our our list, I said, "Really? <laughs> Is it not sporty enough already?" But Caroline, uh, did you do any reading up during the week regarding Porsche's new nine one one Sport? I did, and you know the Porsche nine eleven is an iconic car. And I think they are fully deserve to make as many special editions of that car for as long as they can, which they have to date. They brought out a lot of new editions. So the 911 Sport Classic, from what I can see, only 1,250 are going to be made. So it's going to be a limited run. And it's been designed to revive the style of the 60s and early 70s. So it's a lovely matte grey colour and it's got a ducktail spoiler and a double bubble roof. Oh, yes. And it is gorgeous, right? To say the very least, it is absolutely gorgeous. I think one of the other things as well that they're trying to bring in is they're using reinforced uh, carbon composites uh, with regards to the body parts and all the rest. So I know that spoiler you're talking about there is going to be made up Mm. of CF4P and as is, if I'm not mistaken, the front, uh, the nose area of the car itself is actually going to be made up with that. So maybe that's where the term sport comes from. It's going to be lighter. Therefore, it's going to be more agile, maybe. And it's got go faster stripes. I think that's, that's <laughs> that proves it's fast. There you go. And by the way, we also have a noise coming from the Porsche Museum from Neil Briscoe mm. a little bit later on. Nothing like your Model Y noises from last week, Caroline, but brand new noises as well. Okay, moving on to the next story. Uh, well, this isn't really a story, right? I was I was watching uh, uh, the tweet machine there during the week and. 
one discussion that I came across was regarding ride sharing. And I suppose I was also speaking to somebody last night who did a master's on, um, I suppose, the future of motoring within this country, the UK and across Europe as well. OK, and uh, I suppose I raised this whole question of where are we going with cars? I mean, for years, people have been talking about, you know, uh, focusing on e-mobility, focusing on different forms of transport, uh, ride sharing, focusing on uh, dropping off cars, picking up other people's cars, etc. And that there would be a lot less ownership in the world, but far more, I suppose, sharing uh, going on. What are your thoughts on this, Caroline? Like, is this ever going to go down that route? I mean, it's a lovely idea, isn't it? It is. Ride sharing, sharing cars, carpooling. I think Mm -hmm. that's what it was called in the 90s and the 2000s. (laughs) Yeah. So... I mean, you could, it's, there's also environmental benefits for to carpooling and ride sharing. But I just think if we look at Ireland, we're a very individualistic society. We like to own things. Oh, yes. And I just don't think that it would ever really take off here. Here's the killer for me, uh, Caroline, right? So I, I live in a, in a place called Dublin 3, right? Uh, so we're city centre. Uh, for, for those of you who live outside of Ireland, uh, in the UK or listen to us, we, we go by numbers in the city. So it's Dublin 1 through to, I think it's Dublin 20 something, 26 or something like that, okay? Uh, every odd number means you're on the north side of the Liffey. Every even number means you're on the south side. And the lower number, it means the closer you are effectively to the city centre. So we're number three, which means we are literally just outside the city centre itself. So you, like, it's about a two kilometre walk from here into the centre of the city itself. Okay, uh, why am I talking about this? Oh yes, so we have a lot of building going on around us at the moment and it's specifically apartments. And the killer of this is, okay, it looks great on paper to reduce ownership, reduce the number of cars, to increase ride sharing, etc. But none of it's happening. And when new apartments are being built, they're now building less car parking spaces. So it'll be Mm -hmm. one per apartment as opposed to two or in fact three as it has been in the past. And the problem that that's creating for areas and traffic flow and things like that is that people are now parking on the side of streets and they're getting in the way of people turning left or right out of a corner, et cetera. That's certainly happening around my area. Now, I'd completely agree with you as well there, Caroline. I mean, have a look at a housing market in Ireland, for example. We all want to own. And we've got this huge catastrophe happening with regards to ownership of houses in Ireland. And rental properties are just going through the roof in terms of what people have to actually pay for it. So we've got this kind of bad relationship with non-ownership of goods. Um, And I'm kind of with you. It's really nice on paper to reduce the number Mm. of cars that are in any country. And yes, the benefits are well known. There'll be less pollution, all these other things as well. But the bottom line is, you're right. We like it's going to take a very long time before we decide. Yeah, I'm going to share a car with my neighbours. Not going to happen. I know, and the thoughts of you know strangers in my car. <laughs> well, but it's not going to be your car anymore. Look, we're we're looking at the likes of and and there's great things out there at the minute. I mean, there's Yuko from Toyota. There's there's Go Car. Mm. Uh, there's the likes of Uber and Lyft with the same kind of theory behind them. And even now, there there's companies that are set up to share uh, parking spaces, etc. Right. 
this is all great. Go car is, is great. In, in my opinion, the one thing that's missing is you can't leave the car off just anywhere. You have to actually bring it back to where you got it in the first place. Um, so personally, I'd rather it be more like Dublin bikes where you can pick up a bike and then you leave it at another bike station as such. But I, I just so don't see it taken on or taken off. I, I just think that you know, it looks great on paper. Just like back in 2010, when we said that 10% of our cars on Irish roads, full stop, I'm not talking about new cars, 10% of cars on Irish roads would be EVs. We're not even at that bigger yet. And once again, all this No, that didn't end well. That promise didn't end well, did it? It, it, it didn't, but we're, <laughs> like it is clearly picking up, as we'll discuss mm. with Paddy Common a little bit later on the show. And uh, Caroline, hopefully after that interview plays, myself and yourself can talk about this as well. But... Look, I just don't see it happening yet. Now, in other news, in more positive news, Dacia are really on a good one at the moment. 10 million Dacias made. Woohoo! Yeah, what a lovely story. And the 10 millionth was a Dacia Duster Extreme SE in matte grey um, um, paint. Um, but if you look at the history of Dacia, they started and they were built to provide modern, reliable, and affordable vehicles to the people of Romania. So yes. that's a lovely starting for a brand. They got taken over by uh, Renault Group in 1999. And that started a real revival and I suppose penetration into the European, the rest of the European market. So a, a fantastic success story, I think, for Das. Yeah. It, absolutely. And one of the great things about Dacia, and as far as I, I as far as I recall, when they released it, uh, I think the first car, the first Dacia to come into Ireland was the Duster, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, I can't remember what year, but I can remember the talk around it being, you know, this is effectively a car that'll take care of itself. It's it's like the Ryanair of cars in terms of affordability and everything else like that. It's going to be a hell of a lot cheaper and there'll be a lot more you can do with the car yourself. So if something breaks, you know, uh, yes, absolutely bring mm. it to a mechanic, but it's going to be because you're looking at parts from, let's say, older Renaults and things like that. It's going to be easier to get parts, it's easier to maintain other things like that as well. To me, they're a real success story, Caroline. Um, you oh, know, for sure. They've sold over 14,000 dusters in Ireland. Wow. And people don't just buy a duster anymore now because it's cheap. They buy it because they actually like the look of the car. Yes. Yes. Which well, is really cool as well. I'm kind of on the fence on that one. I, I, I recommend it <laughs> to my parents, by the way, when it first came out. And I think now it's come back to me in around 2013, 2014, maybe is when it came to Ireland or maybe even 2015. Um, but I recommend it to my parents to buy one. They did. They bought a four wheel drive version because they live up the mountains down your way. OK. Uh, and they mm. needed it for snowy days and things like that. And it was a really good car, four wheel drive. And I think at the time it cost them about 22,000 euro. Right. That's incredible value. So good. So good. Absolutely brilliant. And then we spoke about the jogger last week, which is what come to the market at about 24,000 mm. euro. So it's affordability. And when they eventually, and I can't wait for it because it might be a bit like the MG5 in terms of affordability, but when they come to the market with an electric vehicle that we can all mm. kind of go out and purchase with, and I imagine when they come with it, it'll be huge mileage on it as well. Yeah, they're talking about 2024, the Dacia Spring will arrive in Ireland, which is fantastic news. They were able to confirm that at the Jogger launch, um, right-hand drive models. So that's phenomenal. Can't wait to see the price on that. 
Well, I can't wait to see the price, but have you heard any rumors regarding, I suppose, distance and battery power, how far it's going to take you on a single charge? I don't know off the top of my head now, um, Dara, actually, because yeah. it, ha- it is already on sale in other European markets, mm, I believe. So Google might be able to tell you. Yeah, I'm going to have a look at it. Uh, let me Kids, see. Or can I phone a friend? Can I call? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now what, what I'm seeing here is slightly disappointing, right? Well, actually, I, I wouldn't say so. It, it, now, this WLTP figures, right? Um, so the 24, 27.4 kilowatt uh, Dacia Spring delivers an official WLTP range of 230 kilometers or 143 miles if you're in the UK or the USA. Uh, and they say that it can reach up to 305 kilometers or 190 miles in urban mode. Um, now, that to me mm. just isn't enough because yeah not yet more of a city car for the moment then yeah okay listen let's move on from that uh supply chain issues and we got a, a reader's question in this week regarding bottlenecks and chip shortage and how long can this continue now before we tackle that um supply chain issues were reported on this week um yet the likes of volkswagen are still keeping their outlook kind of positive etc just despite the supply chain woes um what do you think at the moment obviously because of semiconductors and things like that the war in ukraine that's causing a major major issue in terms of getting these semiconductors and chips over to the likes of wherever they're manufacturing the vehicles around europe and then of course we had the covid19 pandemic which shut down many of the operations that were actually creating them the question we have in here from one of our readers is how long can this continue have you any opinions on that carver well, industry experts and voices are saying it will certainly continue um, into, into for the rest of 2022, even into 2023. And I saw some sources said 2024. But it is thought that things will improve in the second half of this year, but that this will be a theme for the next two years at least, which is really interesting, isn't it? How the whole thing works. It, it is, and it's incredible how much the pandemic slowed it down. Like, I mean, in fairness, for some countries, like on and off for the guts of two years, places closed, et cetera, and obviously productivity was down as a result of that. Mm. But look, the other thing as well, that this this war that's going on in Ukraine, that like, and obviously mm. we're not political commentators, so we, we, we can't really say how long it's going to last. But the problem is exactly that. We don't know how long that's going to last. And because they produce... Um, such quantities of the neon that's required for semiconductors themselves uh, and Russia as well. Like, I mean, R- Russia is a massive um, supplier of semiconductors because of what's going on, because of, I suppose, embargoes as such that we're putting on uh, Russia and because of the fact that nothing's going to be created in Ukraine. It's another thing that adds to us. So, like, w- once again, mm. o- other than sh- the cost of human lives, which is obviously the most important thing, this war in Ukraine is actually stretching a hell of a lot further in terms of uh, on, a, on a more global mm. scale that we're all fully aware of. Um, okay, another question came in this week. Uh, how do you guys see the development of gas prices? And once again, this possibly goes back to Ukraine, uh, possibly goes back to supply issues as well. Um, how do you guys see the development of gas prices and what's your view on the future of power units? So gas prices, um, what are we in Ireland at the moment, Caroline? 190 per litre of diesel, 179 per litre of petrol or there, thereabouts. Would that be yeah, right? 
what and once things go up in price they tend not to go down you know so i think the high uh fuel prices or gas prices as our as yes. our friend said um i think they're going to stay yeah and for sure for as long as this um the war in ukraine carries on it they're going to stay high for sure mm-hmm. Absolutely no doubt about that. Now, another part of his question was, and I'm assuming he means EV power units, or does he mean possibly mean, uh, I suppose, what's going to power our car? So could it be hydrogen or something like that? But he asked, what, what's the view on the future of power units? Um, it, I'll give my tuppence on this one. In terms of power units, uh, Caroline, I think one of the big things that's going to happen, well, I hope is going to happen, is that we'll start actually using lampposts. Which, as far as I'm concerned, like there is supply of electricity. We have a massive shortage of charging points. If you live in an apartment, as I mentioned over the weeks, um, if you live in an apartment, you have no choice. You, you just can't buy an electric vehicle. Um, whereas if lampposts were to start supplying the energy that, that were required for electric vehicles, then possibly we'd have more people actually using them because we don't have any shortage of lampposts, certainly not in the cities anyway. Yeah, that's a great idea. And as long as it's done in an aesthetically pleasing way, and this, huh? we don't want our streets to look awful, you know, either. But it it seems like a really good idea. I would say the future is electric, but we do need a culture that supports that. So that literally when you go outside, you go to the shops, you go to the airport, there is just chargers everywhere. So we can all charge at the same time. And that there's no inconvenience to our modern, busy lives. We we mentioned a few weeks ago uh, charging etiquette, which is probably more important now than it ever was, considering, I suppose, the lack of non-home chargers that we have in this country. Um, I suppose... I, I think if we were to have more charges in this way, there would be a hell of a lot less need for an etiquette. Uh, and we still have to do that show, by the way, Caroline, myself and yourself and Neil have to sit down and kind of go, OK, well, let, let's do the EV podcast. What do you reckon? One of these weeks we do a fully EV podcast where we look at the ins and outs. We look at the charging infrastructure. We look at battery ranges. We look at all of these different things and come to our own logical conclusions as to how the world should be. What do you think? I think so. Yeah, get up on our soapbox. Why not? And another more voices on that very topical issue of EVs. Everybody's talking about EVs, but we do need to see real concrete action. We need to see more chargers. Um, Absolutely. More convenience. Before even I would commit, you know, I'd I'd like to to see a culture that supports EVs and EV drivers. Personally, at the moment, Caroline, like I'm just I'm going for the day when I have money to actually go out and buy an EV. Um, mm. I, I love the idea of them. I've, I've always been a fan, but I've always said like I've said this on, on national radio. I've said it on TV that we're not there yet. Now, that was up to maybe a year or two ago. I we're getting closer to being there, especially when you see the likes. Mm. Um, once again, I'm going to point towards MG5. Once you start making this more affordable, once you get a range that's actually acceptable, then that's far better. The next step in this big jigsaw that we're trying to put together is those charge points, those fast chargers and things like that as well to make it to make people actually want to do it. Because I still think range anxiety is one of the biggest issues. It's what's holding most people back where this is going to work brilliantly 
is going to be like a lot of people are saying within cities, it's also going to be people who are living outside of cities in in kind of more rural areas as well, because I, I suppose they're 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 the less traffic, et cetera, and EVs are great for traffic, but the less traffic, et cetera, means you're getting from A to B quicker. Uh, and if you're using EV power, it's a good way to do it. Um, right, on EVs, uh, this week I spoke to Paddy Common from AA Ireland. Um, Paddy, folks, has been on uh, Drive Talking season one before in the past. Um, I happen to see Paddy post on LinkedIn where he gave away the stats that are coming up uh, for, for the end of April themselves. Now, folks, we're now recording this on the evening of the 6th of May. So you may have heard some of the news already, but some interesting things that Paddy came out with myself and Caroline will discuss straight away to after. So this, folks, is Paddy Common from AA Ireland. Paddy Common from AA Ireland, you're very welcome back. And I understand you guys have been very busy with your own podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, you know where to find that. It's in Apple Charts and Spotify. Anywhere you look, you're going to see the AA podcast. Um, do you mind, Paddy, if we if we start off with AA, I've actually brought you in to talk about something completely different. Yeah. But I happen to, I suppose, have a somewhat of a listen. I haven't listened to it all yet. Uh, your latest podcast with James Brooks in yeah. AA Ireland. And uh, you were discussing some stuff that's very close to my heart, including uh, the great Arnold O'Byrne and the guy behind, I suppose, Opal being part of Italian 90, as far as I'm concerned, in Ireland, because it was such a big deal. Opal was, as far as we all thought, an Irish brand. Yeah, our interview, um, Dara, with with James Brooks is, it's a good one. It's James was obviously previous Irish boss of Kia, um, but and now current CEO of Opal Ireland. But he started in Opal. He started his automotive career in Opal, and he he started around the heyday, as you said, of of Opal in Ireland. And, and Opal certainly for 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 me growing up, probably staying for you, Opal were obviously considered to be almost an Irish brand. They were an institution because, of course, they were on the shirt of the Irish national team at a time when I'm not sure many other sponsors were particularly interested. They were in um, just before. Uh, the heady days and I think they were there at the slightly unfashionable time and um, they had Arnold O'Byrne who was uh, who was a celebrity in Ireland you know the man was a celebrity I remember my dad was a motoring journalist and I used to go up to collect cars with him on a Monday morning like um, like you know we do with our kids and um, yeah like going into Arnold O'Byrne's office that was a big deal oh. that, you know to meet the man um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, but James does talk about that and he also talks about Another man we will have coming up on our, our podcast, Aidan Doyle, who's um, Kia Ireland, who was the PR guy for Opal at that time, at the time of Jack Charlton and Arnold O'Byrne. So um, Aidan, as you know, Dara, and, and you know, I think you, you, hopefully you'll also have him on, on your podcast. And like, also, before I go on, can I say I'm absolutely loving the new format of the, of the show. I think it's, it's excellent. So um, big applause from my side on that. Thanks a million, Paddy. Listen, listen back, back, back to, to Arnold, uh, and we will move on to what I called you in for. It, regarding Aidan Doyle, right? Um, and it's funny you mentioned it because you, you, okay, so you spoke to James Brooks, who started out in Noble Ireland, then he moved yeah. to Kia, and guess who moved at the same time or in around the same time? Of course, it's Mr. Aidan Doyle yeah. himself. Yeah. Um, the thing about Aidan, I've sat down and spoken to him about the Arnold O'Byrne stuff, and I'm really looking forward to your own podcast with Aidan as well because yeah. he's a great storyteller. Apart from everything else, he's a fantastic storyteller. But one thing I'll say about Opal during the 90s, uh, it reminds me a bit, and sorry, folks, there's a lot of people tuning in from the UK into this podcast. So, 
this may be a little bit removed from you, but I don't mean it to be because it's a fantastic marketing coup as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Yeah. So Opal, we as Irish people sat and thought, Opal, they're Irish. And there's only two other brands that I can think of that were even close at the time. Uh, and this, sorry, this isn't supposed to be a marketing podcast. At the time, very big. Once again, all around um, World Cup, Euro 88, things like that, was also Mars. Uh, the Mars, oh, Mars yeah. bar, right? That was huge. Uh, Mars a day helps you work, rest and play. It's like, oh, Mars, it's healthy for you. <laughs> it's like Guinness is good for you type of thing. Um, so they linked it very much with sports. And the other one, of course, was Dublin with Arnott's. The Dublin football team and Ireland oh, yeah, of course. were the big marketing wins. But number one is that that Opal uh, thing that's going on. OK, listen, I called you in because during the week or last week, I, I noticed you hadn't getting ahead of the game, which I suppose you got to do in your role in AA Ireland. And you yep. posted some quite interesting stats or kind of uh, pointers as to what to expect over the coming days. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, start of every month, uh, we get a breakdown of the motoring stats, how many cars were sold, what type of cars, what car colors, uh, what's the top selling brand, what's the top selling this, that and the other. And obviously, Paddy would be privy to some of this information in advance. But let's start out with the first thing that you you, you posted, Paddy, uh, on this particular day. Petrol is now outselling diesel for the first time since two thousand and nine. Wow. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's a stat that stood out from this year's so far. Now it has happened. It did happen earlier on the year, but the, that that figure is rolling on. It wasn't a flash in the pan. Um, if you remember back there when the legislation was changed. In, in you know to CO two from C, from cubic capacity back in yeah. uh, two thousand and eight. Before that, we were a seventy percent thirty seventy percent petrol market, thirty percent diesel market, and pretty much overnight, you know, as was the perceived wisdom at the time, we moved to a CO two based system, and uh, the byproduct of that was that everyone switched to diesel. Now, obviously, we, there have been a we've been proven otherwise. Since then, that maybe diesel wasn't the best way forward, mm. but it was the perceived wisdom at the time. And really, since then, um, diesel has been the dominant player in the Irish market when it came to new car sales, even up to last year. Diesel was still fractionally in the majority, but we've now seen that tide fully turn um, as a result of a change in appetite, change in knowledge, and obviously, of course, the the change to hybrids in particular, Toyota have done a particularly good job in transporting people to hybrid and the uh, what is now a quite dramatic growth in the sales of EVs. Okay, and we'll move on to that in just one second, right? So ju just to let out the figures that I have here anyway, Paddy, is that petrol is now 27.23% of the market. Mm -hmm. This is in Ireland. And I'm sure, ladies and gentlemen, this is similar in the UK and across Europe indeed as well, because we're all, we were all at the time privy to the same rules. Uh, the other thing as well, when you were saying that, you know, the, the perceived wisdom of the time, do you ever hear the saying, Paddy, uh, hindsight is the foresight of a gobshite? Uh, and that's effectively, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of us were duped into buying these diesel vehicles. Uh, I, I won't say myself at the time, I didn't buy my first diesel until maybe two years ago, or actually, no, I tell a lie, it's five years ago now. That's what uh, what, what COVID-19 does to you. It makes you forget years. Um, but I bought my first 
Diesel then knowing full well the implication of what I was doing. But I suppose we're all sitting there looking at CO2 emissions going, yeah, really low. And we forgot NOx, which which everyone's calling yeah. the killer and, and things like that as well. Um, but just to give the breakdown, stats, petrol, 27.23%, diesel, 26.4%. And it's been a long time. The funny thing is, Paddy, like, and you, you had a bang on there. When we used to, I suppose, charge motor tax or road tax based on uh, CCs, mm-hmm. um, it was all petrol. It was all petrol. And those who had a diesel were slightly better off in the perception of others, either that or they lived in the country. They lived rural. Um, but one thing we all knew was you'd get better mileage. Uh, at the time, it was thought that your car will go for even longer if it's on a diesel uh, and all these other things. But it's exciting to see, as you mentioned there, I suppose a big impact that's happening on the market right now is electric vehicles. So what news have you got for us this month regarding EVs? Yeah, well, it, it looks like the sales have more than doubles in, in terms of market share versus last year. So we're 13% EV sales versus over um, 6% last year. So so that market is more than doubled. So that's a dramatic increase. And I think it would actually be significantly more than that if supply wasn't such an issue uh, because, uh, you, you know, we know that supply is a, is a, is a problem. Um, so, you know, and you, when you look at, Delivery dates for things like Skoda Enyaqs, Ford Mustang Mackeys, things like that. Uh, anyone walking into a showroom now to try and get an EV is probably going to be told, you know, see you, see you next year. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of funny on that, and it's exactly what you said there. Like I know people who've been told you've got a six month wait, but I, I'm assuming, and I was on talking to my wife about this earlier on today. I'm assuming assuming that in another month they're going to be told, well, actually, do you remember that six month wait? It's going to be six months from now as opposed to last month or the month before, whatever it is. Uh, and I also heard comment on, I think it was on Today FM during the week, I, on Matt Cooper's show, somebody passed comment on the fact that Volkswagen are pretty much ran out of EVs by this stage, or it's not that they've ran out, they can't supply because of what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening regarding chips and things like that as well. Now, that might be a bit of an overstatement, but this seems to be like, it's, it's it seems to be a pandemic within itself uh, across the industry because of Ukraine and parts that were coming from there and because of the chip shortage. Like, I mean, it's a really bad time for for everything at the moment in terms of but look at the, Look, look at uh, Volkswagen's market share, Dara. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and obviously, full disclosure, I did work for the brand for a number of years. And at my time there, you'll remember, Volkswagen was habitually fighting for the number one position between themselves and Hyundai and Toyota. And now, you know, Volkswagen have really dropped off and it's almost entirely down to supply issues. It's well, not that well. suddenly the people have fallen out of love with the brand. They've, they've, that's a brand who have really suffered in terms of being able to deliver cars and, and they just don't have them on the ground. And, 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 and that's a real challenge for them. Um, you know, and you see, you know, we'll, we'll chat later on about the, the top, you know, top selling EVs, but you, you only have to look at that to see that, uh, you know, where's this go to Enyaq and, 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 you know, brands like those or models like those, they would be selling twice what they'd sell if they had them on the ground. But, but it's a complete shortage. But, okay, so before we get on to what EVs are actually selling, I just want to point to one other thing. So I, I received an email off Simai as I do every month with a breakdown of figures, right? So once again, yeah. what you could be looking at could be slightly different from me. But one of the things that 
I've noticed throughout the year for obvious reasons, they're trying to compare 2022 with 2019 because 2020 and 2021 were bust on account of lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. No surprise there. Um, but our figures are still a large chunk below what they would have been in 2019 at this stage of the year. Are we putting that down to parts or are we putting that down to a change of attitude or are we putting that down to um, other reasons? Like, can, can we actually pinpoint where the issue is in terms of, of sales? Is it inflation, as I said, or is it because supply and demand or supply issues? I think I think the answer, and it, it might sound like a cop out, it's kind of oh. all of the above. Um, <laughs> right. But because I think there's, I think financially there's an appetite there for people to buy. I know from talking to the dealers and, and, you know, we talked to one of our, one of the big dealers a couple of weeks ago on our own podcast and um, they were saying, look, we, we have people beating the door down. We just don't have anything for them. And they're what's, uh, you know, what we're seeing as well as a byproduct is the after sales market is booming. It's absolutely booming. So people are trying to keep cars in the road because they can't get new ones. But look, to, you're right. It, it's a case that we would be certainly selling more cars um, if we could, if we had them. And I, and I think we're probably in that position that people are, some people are on the fence about moving to EV, you know, from talking to some of the CEOs of the, of the brands, they're saying people want to get them, but they're, it's not, it's less of an issue of them being sure that they want to do it. It's starting to be more of a sure of them, uh, an issue of them not being able to get them. Okay. All right. Let's talk about electric vehicles. So um, what are the big sellers of the year? What are we looking at? Hyundai are number one with the Ionic Five, and I, I, Dar, I don't know if you've if you've seen the car, if you've spent oh, much yeah. time with the car yet. It's a, such a good car. I, 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 I'm, I don't know. I, I've heard, I heard the conversation you guys had about whether you know your EV6 or Ionic Five. You know, that's yeah. I, I've driven both, and look, it's like. They're they're so similar in lots of ways. I think choosing between them is just down to a a slight personal taste. Uh, for me, uh, you know, the the I really I think the EV6 is probably marginally better. I would I prefer the Ionic Five personally. I just prefer the look of it, mm. and it just has that slightly retro vibe to it. Um, but look, you're, you're, they're both wonderful, wonderful cars. You're but, you're so right with the with the retro vibe. But but here's the thing, Paddy. Just uh, and I openly admit this on the show. I no longer test drive, so I haven't driven these. Yeah, I've seen yeah. them. I I drooled over them. I think the Ionic Five is sexy as hell, and I love that that retro vibe that that, that it does give off. It, but for some reason, my heart's in the EV6. I'm looking at it, going going. It's bigger. It's more luxurious looking. And kind of that's what tickles my fancy when it comes to cars. Yeah, two two friends of mine have bought EV6 recently, and they've been looking at to get them, but um, and they are just delighted with their purchase. There's, there is an argument that the Ionic Five maybe won't age as well styling wise because if you get something that's a little bit quirky once, it, yeah. it, it might look a little bit odd in a few years. For me, I just think it's a it's a nicer looking car, but the EV6 is probably marginally better but then you know if we all bought the same car life would be very boring uh, i see the id4 is in the running for this year it's ID, yeah volkswagen have done a good job and that was still happening when i was there they took a good punt on on the volume they would sell and, and you know you know manufacturers have to plan well for for a year and they really stuck their neck out last year on saying that they would sell 12 1300 uh, id4s last year and and you know that was at a time where 
we weren't sure whether we would sell that number and it paid off because they delivered that many last year and this year they're, they're selling similar numbers. Um, the, the, it's funny though that when you look at the ID4, the, the ID3 disappeared amongst the ID4. The ID, ID3 still does okay, but yeah. there should have been a bigger gap between ID3 and ID4. ID3 was launched far too close to what would be, you know, an electric SUV, which everyone particularly wanted. So um, I think it, that it's, you know, you can, you can see the ID4 hasn't, ID3 isn't selling wonderfully well, it's selling okay, but not, you know, there's the Nissan Leaf in, in, in fourth position, whereas the ID, ID3, you know. Um, but, but yeah, Volkswagen have, that's been, been a very popular car and they've got their supply issues pretty well sorted with that. Okay, and then finally, just let everyone know, Tesla Model 3, which we spoke about last week. Uh, Paddy, I didn't realize this until I did a quiz on um, on, on Neil and Caroline last week. Uh, it was one of these quick quizzes that we we run towards the end of every show. Yeah. And I said, what's the number one best-selling EV? And funny enough, it's the Tesla Model 3, which is coming in third in Ireland, 1.1 million around the globe at the moment. Nissan Leaf, 500,000. Now, to my mind, before I sat down and actually put the quiz together, I would have thought Leaf was by far and by far and away the largest seller. It's not. Tesla Model Three is, then the Leaf, then the Zoe, and Zoe doesn't even rate in our top five year to date in Ireland. Yeah, and Tesla Model Three has been the biggest seller at various stages in the UK overall. And I, I think if I'm right in saying, I think the Tesla Model Three or the Y again, I need to check that was the biggest selling car in Europe in wow. April, I think. Yeah, and um, uh, look, it's it's just incredible to see the growth from them. Okay, uh, very quickly, in terms of normal cars, <laughs> which we're going to very soon be calling abnormal cars uh, yeah. over the next maybe 10, 15, 20 years, what ICE cars are selling this year? Uh, have you got a top five there of what's selling uh, this yeah, year? Yeah, they're still lashing Tucson's out to beat the band. And when you talk to them, I talked to them recently, and they are still selling diesels uh, no problem on Tucson's. Wow. So they are selling well. And, and, and you know, obviously it's hard to look, it, when you look at, it depends whether you consider a, a, you know, a regular Toyota series hybrid as a normal car or not. But when you look, at their, look at Toyota's dominance of the top 10. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, it is Corolla. astonishing. And yeah, the five cars in the top 10. Jesus, I'm looking at it here. Corolla, CHR, RAV4 and Yaris. Yeah. That is incredible. And both of those brands are have are selling 45, 46% more cars than they were last year. Wow. Okay. Well, look, it, it, I suppose it's good to see some brands coming out really well, despite what's happening with um with delivery issues, supply issues, etc. Let's round it up on a very interesting stat that you posted this week. Once again, this entire interview came out of because of a post that you put out on LinkedIn. So uh, <laughs> I have to stalk you after it. Automatic transmission is now firmly in the majority. Um, oh my God, like I always thought we were a purist country where it's like, no, I need to be able to go through my gears first, the second, the third, the fourth. Automatic transmission is now on top. Yeah, and this, I, I sort of flagged it towards the end of last year that I thought that that was going to happen soon because there's no going back from that. That's, yeah. that's a done deal now because if you think of, about the reasons, it's because all electric vehicles are automatic mm. all the hybrids are automatic you know by and large and um, there are some exceptions but most of them so if you consider that as, as time goes on 
there there is going to be less of a need for manual transmissions because they're just not really going to exist. Our, our colleagues AA in the UK have a driving school and they're starting to put on EVs on their fleet and they're starting to notice that people, especially younger people, have no interest in learning how to drive a manual. I, I wonder for, for, for the older generations when they end up actually buying. So older generations, I'm going to put myself into that because let's say in 30 years time, when an actual majority or high percentage of the market will be EV at the moment, we're still relatively low. Um, I wonder would they put in fake gearboxes for us to go to as we're driving. Around. Well, they, I know, and I, I think Neil drove it. Um, I know Dave Humphreys drove it, the Opel Manta concept car. Yeah. The electric vehicle that had a manual gearbox. Wow. And okay. it was an electric vehicle. Yeah. Um certainly Dave Humphreys drove it. It had a it had a, a the ability to change gears. You didn't have to, but yeah. you could. And um that could be something that starts to appear again. But that that was a, a quite a unique part of that. It would be sad to see you know, that go, uh, or it's sad to see the skill go, I, you know, for, for the purists or for those people who like jumping in a 10 year old Mazda MX-5 now and again, um, it, wow. you know, that, that skill <laughs> won't, won't ever die. But in the future, it's going to be uh, something we see less and less of. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's a bit of a pity, but if I'm being honest, Paddy, over the last year or two, because I use cruise control so often, I'm kind of like, mm, I can do without it. I am, you know, I suppose I could. I've noticed now that I get, I can, if I get into a manual, because so many cars are automatic, sometimes I've, you know, you might actually stall it because you forget to put your your left leg down and change gear, you know? I'll I'll edit that bit out, Paddy. Don't worry. I'm (laughs) only joking. I will not. Listen, Paddy, come and thank you so much for joining us this week. And uh, look, I'll put you on the spot. I might give you a call this time next month. See if you come on and we'll talk about the figures again. Anytime. I'm bringing it back. Paddy Common there from AA Ireland and always a pleasure to talk to Paddy. Um, this week, Simi Figures came out, which is effectively what uh, Paddy was talking about there. Uh, Simi Figures, folks, I used to look forward to this, Caroline, every month when you get the email from Theresa in Simi, um, or some people as they call it, Simi, but I still say Simi is right because the I stands for Ireland or Irish. Um, but I used to look forward to them every month because it was always brought in huge readership for me once I... Uh, let those figures out, you know, uh, what's the biggest selling car, how many cars sold within a month, how many vans sold, how many EVs, how many petrols, how many diesels. But some of the great news that came out this week for the first time in a very long time since 2009, petrol is now outselling diesel. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's super interesting, isn't it? I think it's probably the way it should have always been. You know, a lot of people were missold diesel cars, so maybe it's actually very realistic now, because diesel is relevant to, for example, motorway drivers who are doing long distances, um, you get you still get great economy from a modern diesel engine. So, um, yeah, it's probably more re- realistic, the figures. And EVs are up to 13% of the market, which is incredible. In a few yes. short years as well, um, it, it's really great progress. It, it is great to see. Um, what, one thing, though, like, I mean, when we were, and I actually used the term, and good ear by you, I used the term, we were duped into buying diesels uh, with that interview with Paddy Common. Um, and one of the things is, unfortunately, a lot of people who were living in cities, et cetera, went out and bought a diesel, let's say, 
three years ago, four years ago, and they've all been suffering with DPF issues or the diesel particulate filter issues because they're not driving out on the roads at over 2,500 revs for 10 minutes at a go or doing 80 kilometers an hour, 90 kilometers an hour and over in fifth gear or whatever it is, a lower gear, just actually clear the filters themselves. They just weren't driving the cars enough. And to fix a DPF, good God, like you're talking thousands of euro if you want to do it and maintain any kind of warranty within your car itself. Uh, the other thing that Paddy spoke about was automatic transmission now being firmly in the majority. Wow, what a change. Like from we are loving drivers who insist on having an actual gear um, to change. Now, obviously, a lot of the reason for this is because hybrid hybrids and electric vehicles are using less gears. But I never thought I'd see the day, Caroline, where Ireland turned into an automatic country. I remember the times when that only happened in the States. Now it's happening here. Oh, my God. I remember the first time I got into an automatic car. I was huh? like, how do I drive this thing? Even Were though you looking for the simple, clutch? But I, yeah, I mean, I've driven so many manual cars. I've learned to drive in a manual cars. We're going to have kids now who will learn to drive in an automatic car. They won't even know how to use a manual gearbox. Oh Which is, God. it makes me sad as well because oh, I've had so much fun in cars with manual gearboxes. But one, one thing we did speak about was the Opel Manta um, electric version that they made. Uh, Paddy mentioned it there in the interview. Um, Manta you, E, I think. Yeah, the Manta it. E where you can, um, now I think he said, now I've obviously never driven it, I've never been in it, uh, but there's kind of a fake, uh, well, no, he didn't say fake. You, you can switch modes into manual mode. But uh, he, he mentioned that in the piece and I, I had, because I had asked the questions like, are we going to get to the point where we're going to start just sticking in these um, movable gear sticks that do nothing but make you look cool while you're driving from A to B? It's like the fake noises that you hear inside cars now as I well, to give it the extra burble. Everything's changing. It really is. Um, so... Even, you know, the change in the power steering as well from mechanical to electric that removes a lot of the steering feel, you know, so electric kind of ruins everything, any kind of driving appeal. Uh -huh. But I think the brands are certainly working on giving us a more engaging feeling in these EVs. Some of them give you almost feedback through the pedals as well, like a petrol or diesel car. So the engineers who make these cars are very clever. Most of them, I'm sure, really like cars. So they're going to work super hard to give us EVs that will um, hopefully soften the blow for even the most hardened petrol heads. And I think Toyota are working on a hydrogen um, combustion engine as well, which could be really interesting. So maybe the more sporty cars will use something like that, like a hydrogen combustion engine to give drivers the experience of the good old combustion engine oh wow okay okay and and we we can look forward to a future of fake noises as well which 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 is nearly um in in legislation <laughs> now by by this stage but yeah fake noises there, there was one there was one that always rang true for me uh peugeot 3 308 I can remember they launched it, uh, an updated version there, probably back in 2017 again. Once again, it's on in these cycles where if you got the GT version, you got that that fake noise embedded and you could choose it. If you went into GT mode or whatever it was, you click on the button and the noise would come on and it was the fakest noise in the world. And I suppose we're going down the route of these fake things within cars, etc. And I suppose they're 
trying to add to the enjoyment of it because the burble was beautiful in 308 but you were sitting there going nah that's that's not real not not quite a lion's roar not uh, quite yeah I was no it was a lovely sound but it, sleeping cat it, it just didn't go well with what my foot was doing at the time anyway Caroline Kidd um, I want you to hold on the line there for a moment uh, ladies and gentlemen that was Drive Talking for this week um, Caroline Kidd once again thank you so much for coming on and as always uh, if you want to read more from Caroline it's changinglanes.ie uh, next week Neil Briscoe's come back Caroline if I'm not mistaken you'll be doing an interview for us fingers crossed we won't say with who or anything like that but fingers crossed you're going to have a nice inter- few interviews maybe let's see what happens for us and uh, folks have a fantastic week uh, remember available on most podcast apps if there's one that we're missing please let us know tell your friends like share subscribe everything else like that fun weekend where's my stop recording button oh here it is